um, the co-op released uh, a list of most popular songs chosen in funerals. And I'm sure if I were to give a piece of paper out and you were to guess them, I'm sure you'd guess some of these uh, that people choose in their funerals. Maybe you've heard them, or maybe you've had loved ones who've had these in their funerals. Here are some from the top ten. Number eight was Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Number six was A Time to Say Goodbye. Number three, Always Look on the Bright Side of Life. Number two, My Way. And number one, You'll Never Walk Alone. There were the ones, the songs that people wanted played in the funerals. Maybe they were chosen by the people who died, or maybe the family just wanted them to be played. But I wonder if we could have a record of what songs um, people were played or wanted heard on their deathbeds, how they would be different. You know, if you were to ask um, the history of the church and look at the history of the church, what songs do people know or want sung or want read when they're coming to the end of their life, what the common themes would be? As you look over the history of the church, there are many accounts of Christians dying and when they were giving their lives for the gospel. Martyrs, those who were arrested and then killed because they were preaching the gospel. And do you know time and time again when you look in church history, do you know what songs they choose? They choose the Psalms. They come to the songs in the Bible uh, that show us who God is and what he's like. So you can read in the fourth century of Theodore the Recruit, he was tortured and killed. And as he was killed, what psalm was he singing? He was singing Psalm 33, singing it out loud. Or there was Jean Rabec, who in 1556 was going to be killed because he was preaching the gospel. And a lot of his uh, colleagues and friends were also killed for preaching the gospel. So the authorities, to stop them uh, singing when they were killed, because what would happen is they would sing a psalm uh, and everybody would join in. And to stop that happening, they cut off Jean Rabec's tongue so that before he was killed, he wouldn't be able to sing. But that didn't stop it. Even though um, people who wouldn't know the song wouldn't be able to understand it because his tongue had been cut off, many in the congregation uh, or in the audience of him being killed knew what he was trying to say, and they joined in as he sang Psalm 79 uh, as he was being killed. Christians over the history have chosen psalms when it comes to Jesus' death. We hear seven phrases that he called out. Two of those phrases were from the Psalms. In his heart, in his mind, were the Psalms. When it comes to Christians on the deathbed, coming to the end of the journey in this life, waiting for the next, where do we turn so often? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you're with me. Psalm 23. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord. Psalm 121. See, we need the Psalms. They help us. They encourage us. These are the songs that can sustain us, that can keep us. Now, when we look at this passage this morning, and when we uh, think of what we read earlier with Mark in Mark's Gospel, Jesus, in the last few hours of his life before the cross, was there sharing his Passover meal with the disciples. And it tells us in Mark 14 that they sang this hymn. What were they singing? As I pointed out earlier, they would have been singing these psalms. These are the psalms the Jews sang at the Passover meal, the Hallel psalm, Psalm 113 to 118. And we know that is the case. We know that is what the Jews sang. And so Jesus would have sang these psalms. In this Passover meal, these would have been on his mind. So over the next few weeks, we're going to look at these psalms, 
through that lens, to imagine Jesus, the dying Savior, singing these psalms. This is what he was thinking about. This is what encouraged him. This is what kept him going. This is what uh, helped him as he approached this colossal uh, work of the cross that he was doing. These psalms will give us a glimpse into the heart and mind of Jesus as he approached the cross. So my prayer for us as a church, if you're a Christian this morning, is that we would get a fresh glimpse of what Jesus did for us and that we would be amazed again and thankful that he's done this for us, for me. And if you're not a Christian, I, want to, I pray that this will show you just what Jesus has done and how this saviour can be your saviour as well. So let's have a look at Psalm 113. What did Jesus have on his lips as he was approaching the cross? What did he have on his mind, on his heart? Well, three things this psalm shows us. He had God's people on his heart, God's character on his heart, and God's salvation. That's what we'll look at, God's people, God's character, and God's salvation. Let's first look then, on heart of Jesus was God's people. So this psalm starts with this invitation, doesn't it? Praise the Lord. One word in the Hebrew, hallelujah. Hallel, praise, yeah, the Lord. Praise him. And who's praising him? Praise, verse 1, O servants of the Lord. Who are the servants? They are those who want to follow Jesus, who want to do um, what, what God says. They are here, he is their master. So those who are committed to him. So praise the Lord, all God's people. That's what that is saying is. Praise the Lord. And who are they praising? They are praising the name of the Lord. Now, the name of the Lord tells us who he is. The name of the Lord was really important in the Old Testament because it showed us that God wasn't just this far-off kind of God who didn't tell us what he was like. But no, God in the Old Testament had made himself known to his people. He had said, this is my name. I don't know if you've ever been in a relationship with somebody where you'd always called them like a, a, quite a formal name, like Mr. Jones. Oh, nice to see you, Mr. Jones. Nice, you know, good morning, Mr. Jones, that kind of thing, maybe a teacher or something. And then you meet them outside of that context. Maybe when you're a bit older and you see Mr. Jones again. I remember it happens to me. I, I just revert back into, uh, into school, don't you? Say, oh, hello, sir. Hello. <laughs> you, know, you know, kind of bow your head a bit and a bit of respect. And they say, oh, don't call me that anymore. Call me John. You know, that's my name. I know it's Jones's name as well, but you can imagine that kind of situation. That's my name. It gives you that access. It gives you that personal touch. In the same way, when we say that they're praising the name of the Lord, it's because God has revealed something about himself to his people. This is my name. I am your God. Praise the name of the Lord, the personal God. And this name not only just gives that kind of um, uh, uh, access to God, but it shows us what he's like. The name of God reminds us that this is the God who revealed himself to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God who made the promises and the God of the covenant, the God who doesn't break his promise, the God who doesn't let us down. This is the God they're praising. So he's saying here at the start of the psalm, praise the Lord, praise God's people, praise his name. This is what he's like. He's a God who doesn't break his promises and a God who's made himself known to us. So who is praising God's people? But when are they praising him? From this time forth, from now, verse 2, and forevermore. So God's people can praise his name forever. That is, people who knew him in the past, 
people who know him today and people who will know him forever in eternity all enjoying his greatness his majesty his praise we will never be able to stop praising god and finding things to praise him for you know we can have things can't we in this life that are new and exciting maybe this last week you've been able to pick up a new car the new number plates are out aren't they if you've seen any i don't know and you think oh, this is exciting but you know in five six years time i'm sure you'll be very bored of that car and we'll be wanting the next new one but the name of the lord will be praised forever we'll never get bored there's always more to see and enjoy of him praise his name from this time forth and forevermore and where are these people from from the rising of its sun to its setting where does the sun rise and set where does the sun shine everywhere yeah everywhere on the earth the idea is all peoples from everywhere praise the name of the lord echoing revelation 7 which tells us that um, people from every tribe tongue and nation will be praising god so here's the picture god's people in from the past from the present from the future in glory praising god's name for who he is and what he's done in his greatness from people from all over the world every tribe and tongue and nation enjoying praising this glorious god now let's go back to the passover meal with the disciples what did jesus have on his heart and his mind as he was taking that meal jesus knows that later on this evening he's going to be beaten arrested he's going to be betrayed He's going to get falsely accused he's going to be humiliated and stripped he's going to be walked through the streets of jerusalem uh, with people laughing at him telling him he's a fake he's a liar and then he would go to the cross and he was going to bear the weight of the sin of his people but what was he singing about before that what was on his heart and his mind why was he doing this all because one day there will be this praise of this throng of people praising the name of god enjoying him forever and the only way that's going to be possible is if i die on the cross see what driving him on his heart and mind was this worldwide history spanning group of people praising and worshiping god the greatest congregation ever was on the heart and on the lips and on the mind of jesus see when we read john's account of the passover in um, john chapter 13 we read there as well listen to these words before the feast of the passover when jesus knew his hour had come to depart out of this world to go to the father what is on his mind he loved his own who were in the world and he loved them to the end jesus had on his mind the cross but what was on his heart his people that's what he was going for now again imagine a week and maybe this has been your week for you where everything seems to fall apart you know you're struggling financially you're struggling emotionally you're struggling spiritually maybe a loved one is struggling or is ill or unwell maybe children are rebelling maybe the house is a mess maybe think life just doesn't seem to be getting any better everything seems to be getting harder and harder and harder and you're just at the end of yourself and then there's a knock on the door and you know who it is it's somebody who is exhausting somebody's going to take a lot of energy to talk to how do you feel at that moment i just can't not today i haven't got the emotional energy and yet with jesus he was facing everything being ripped away from him he was facing the betrayal from his friends 
who's facing the, gonna face the anger and the wrath of his father on the cross. And yet, who is on his heart but you and me? Doing this so that one day we'd enjoy the praise of his name. I mean, maybe you need to hear that today. It's something simple. It's something we know. But do you remember that Jesus had you on his heart as he went to the cross? Because he loves you. So often we can forget that, can't we? If we can forget that God loves us. Forget that Jesus did this because he loved you enough to want to die on the cross to save you. Just stop there for a moment and remember that. He loves you. With everything else going on in your life, with all the struggles and battles, he loves you that much. He did this to make it possible for you to be part of that great congregation who is singing praise to the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore, from the sun's rising to its setting, from every tribe and tongue and nation. That's why Jesus did it. Now again, isn't that an encouragement for us this morning? Maybe we look around and we feel small. Compared to our valley, we feel small. Compared to Wales as Christians, we might feel small. But we are part of a worldwide church. We are part of a church from Brazil to Beijing, from Nigeria to um, Nepal. We are part of a, a global church. And there are people from every tribe and tongue and nation. One day we will be praising around the throne of heaven. And, you know, there are places where the church is booming and growing and people are being saved all the time. We rejoice with God for that. And we're part of that, part of his family, his worldwide family. But we're also part of God's family, which spans the, the, the um, time and history. There are people who have died and gone before us to glory, who are today around the throne of heaven praising God. We are part of that family as well. Maybe loved ones who trust in Jesus, who are now in heaven. We are rejoicing with them this morning. Let's lift our eyes up, be encouraged. This is what the cross accomplished. This is what Jesus came to do. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, well, am I part of that group? Am I part of God's family? Let me encourage you, don't leave here without knowing for sure. Jesus invites everybody to put their trust in him. Everybody is welcome to be part of God's people. It's not automatic. We're not all automatically God's children. We need to be saved, we need to be rescued, we need to put our trust in him, but he invites everybody to be part of it. So ask him today, look what Jesus did, look what he went through to make it possible for you to do this. Now if you think before we move on, just what was on the heart of Jesus, his people, how much God loved his people, how precious God's people are to him. In, um, in uh, Acts chapter 19, it tells us there, that Jesus, uh, that what was shed on the, on the cross was the blood of God. That's how precious God, uh, God's people are to him. And if God's people are that precious to him, they should be precious to us as well, shouldn't we? We should be loving one another because we're precious. You are sitting next to somebody so precious to God. Let's love each other, pray for each other. That's how much God loves us. So what was on Jesus' lips and mind and heart in this Passover meal? as he was thinking about the cross. First of all, we see here God's people. Secondly, we see God's character, verses four down to seven. So Jesus is singing this. Imagine him singing these words. Uh, look what we see in verse seven. The Lord is high above all nations. His glory is above the heavens. 
Who is like the Lord our God, seated on high? Look at what is on the heart of uh, Jesus at this moment, the character of God. Like this is a God, we're told, who is high above the nations, who is seated. That means he's the king. He's the ruler of all. We're asked, who is like the Lord? Who is like him? There's nobody who is seated on the throne, who is unmatched in their power, who nobody can remove from, their th- from his throne. We see rulers and kings come and go, don't we? We see kings and queens come and go, as we've seen over these last uh, few months. We see presidents and prime ministers come and go. But God remains seated on high. He's the one who is always reigning, all-powerful, all-knowing. Here is a God who doesn't get old. He doesn't get weary. He doesn't get tired. He never gets surprised or taken aback by any situation. Here is a God in total control. On the night Jesus was to be crucified, he was singing about the total authority of God. Remembering that God has everything in his hands. He's the one who is never surprised. In a few hours, after singing this psalm, Jesus was going to be standing before Pilate. Can you imagine there? Pilate was the Roman governor. He was the one representing Caesar in that area. So there Jesus would have been standing. Uh, and he was standing in a really imposing place, no doubt, with big pillars, uh, with Pilate there showing his authority um, uh, around him. And remember the conversation that they had. In John 19, it says this. So Pilate said to him, uh, when he's um, cross-questioning him, you will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? What does Jesus say in response? You'd have no authority over me at all unless it were given you from above. Jesus realizes this. This isn't down to you, Pilate. There's an authority greater than you. Somebody whose hands this is in that is bigger than yours. Jesus had on his heart and mind the authority and the power of his Father in heaven. Everything he was about to experience was part of God's plan. Nothing was going to take him by surprise. A God who is high and above all. Now, before we go any further, isn't it encouraging for us, as we look at our life, to know that there is a God who is high and above all, a God who goes before us, who is seen next week, who has seen everything we're going to face. He's gone before us. We can feel intimidated and terrified by the unknown, but God has been there, and he knows, and he is with us, and he is for us. We might feel intimidated by the powers and authorities of this land, of of this world. But God has seen it all before. He is high and above it all. He's the one who has all power and authority. And he is the one we can call Father. We have access to that power, that presence, that throne today. God is high and lifted up. That's the power we have. That's the one who is with us. Bring your life, your week, to that truth this morning. And let the truth of God's sovereign care comfort you as it comforted Christ on the night he was killed. But this is a God who is high and lifted up, we're told, but he's not aloof and distant. He is a God who, verse 6, we're told, uh, looks far down on the heavens and the earth. He sees what's happening. He's the king who rules. We've seen we had this last week, we had royalty down the road in Port Albert, in Aberavon, 
Why wouldn't they come there, isn't it? <laughs> They've come all the way to experience the joys of Abraham. But only for a day, only for a moment, and then they're back to their palace in the evening. But we have got a God here who didn't just look down and poke their nose in the door, but she is a God who experienced and came down and stooped down low. Here is a king who, yes, he is, he is um, enthroned over all, but he's a king who comes close. He is the all-powerful one. But how does he use his power? Not to kind of give him comfort, not to um, enjoy the glorious praise only of heaven that he could have had. He didn't have to come to earth. But instead we see here, he is the one, verse 7, who raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. Here's a God who cares deeply about this world, a God who helps those in need, who helps the vulnerable, who helps those who are in the dust, who are on the ash heap, those who basically have given up on life, those who think there's no hope. God says, I care about them. I care about those, and I want to lift them up. Now, remember, these songs were sung at Passover. So these, there's going to be connections here with Exodus and with the, the themes that we see there. And if you look at Exodus chapter 15, uh, it's kind of jumping ahead of our Bible overview that we looked at earlier. But as they are set free from Egypt, after they are set free, they, they sing a song of praise. And listen to what verse 11 of chapter 15 of Exodus says. Who is like you among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds and doing wonders? Doesn't that ring bells of this, uh, these verse here? Who is like, verse 5, the Lord our God? You see, this reminds us that our God, who is high and lifted up, cared about those in Egypt, saw their strife and their struggles and rescued them. But also we've got a greater Moses who came and saw us in our need, who saw us as we are um, chained to sin and death and Satan, and he has come to set us free. Maybe this morning you feel enslaved and you need freedom. Jesus can, has come to set us free. That's what he came to do. So here is a God. This is what Jesus had on his mind. He had the greatness of God, God's character, a character of greatness and power, but also one who is humble and willing to stoop. This is a God of greatness and glory. Now, can you imagine Jesus singing those words? Who is like the Lord our God? What's the answer to that for Jesus? Who is like him? Well, me, Jesus says. I'm like him. That's right. Think of what Jesus says in, in uh, what Paul said in Colossians about Jesus. Here he says, he is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. By him all things were created in heaven and on earth. In him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Who is like the Lord our God? Jesus is. Look at him. This morning you might be wondering, I don't know if God exists, I don't know if he's real, can I trust him? Look at Jesus, God in the flesh, he came. And here's the one who had all power. We're told when Jesus, when they came to arrest Jesus, he says, you know, why have you come with swords and clubs? Don't you realize I could have called on legions of angels to come and rescue me at any moment? What did Jesus do with his power? He didn't use it, didn't hold on to it, to something to be grasped as we read in Philippians 2. But he willingly gave his power to serve and to save. Now, what a difference that is to power use that we see today, isn't it? When we see how people use power, 
And, and there's so much distrust of power now, isn't there? Because we just see how people have abused their positions over the years. They use it to line their own pockets, uh, to, to uh, push their own agendas, uh, to fulfill their own pleasures. But here, the one with ultimate power and authority used it for the good of others, used it to serve and save. Now, when you put these tr two truths together, isn't it so comforting? Here is a God Jesus was uh, singing about who is high and lifted up, all powerful, all sovereign. Nothing surprises him. And yet, he's a God who stoops down low and who cares for the needy and vulnerable. And he cares deeply about you. That's why today we can say, as we have anxieties and worries that we carry, don't worry. God says, I've got her in my hands. I've got the whole world. I've got all of your life. Now, it doesn't mean things will be perfect. It doesn't mean we get everything that we want. But it means that everything will work out for our good, for those who trust in him. Bring your life under those truths today, that God cares and he knows and he loves you. That sustained Jesus as he was going to the cross. The character of God, this great high and lifted up, but also near and close to us. So what do we see here about um, Jesus? What was on his heart and his mind? First of all, God's people. Secondly, God's character. And the last thing is God's salvation. Look at verses 7 to 9. We see this powerful God looking down on this world, but he didn't just acknowledge it and have pity. Like I say, he didn't just poke his nose in just to say hello, but he raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap. Now imagine the situation where there's a child playing with their, their parents are nearby and they're playing in the park and they fall into a huge uh, pool of mud. It's just, just they're absolutely um, covered in mud. How, and they can't get up because they keep slipping over, how are they going to get up? Well, the parent or the grandparent or whoever's looking after that child is going to have to get muddy and get dirty, aren't they? They have to get involved. They have to get their hands dirty. They have to step into that mess. Well, isn't that what we see Jesus doing? Jesus didn't stay far off, but he came and got involved. He was born in Bethlehem. He was born into poverty. He, um, he knew this relationship of love with his Father in heaven. He knew comfort and joy and praise. He had it all. And yet he willingly left that and stooped down into this world. Why? Well, verse 8, to make those who are needy sit with princes to lift up those who are needy and put them in a place of honour. Do you see the connection between verses 5 and 8? Who is seated on the high? Well, the Lord is seated on high. But verse 8, those who are needy are now seated on high. See, they've, he stoops down to put them where he is. Doesn't that sum up what Jesus came to do perfectly? Jesus came and took our place so that we could know his place. The ash heap was the, the rubbish tip. Where is the rubbish tip usually? Well, it's not in the middle of town, is it? It's outside of town. It's outside of the city. And that's what Jesus came, isn't it? He came, and on the cross, he was outside the city. And he took there, and he went there to be rejected and despised. He took our shame. He took our failure and did that in our place. See, what does Jesus deserve? He deserves the warm embrace and smile of the Father. He obeyed him perfectly. He served him perfectly. But what did he receive on the cross? 
Jesus received the rejection, the wrath, the anger, the frown of his Father. See, what do we deserve from God? For our failure, we deserve his wrath, his anger, his frown. But what do we get because of Jesus? We get the warm embrace and smile of the Father because Jesus stooped down low, took our place to lift us up so that we get what he deserves and he gets what we deserve. That is what was on the mind of Jesus. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to accomplish. He gets what we deserve, so we get what he does. We need to praise his name. We need to say, praise the Lord, hallelujah for that this morning. He did that for you. He did that for me. Now, the psalm finishes, doesn't it, by telling us about uh, the barren woman being welcomed. Uh, the barren woman of, of a, a home, he makes her the joyous mother of children. Now, in Bible times, to not have children uh, would have been a, a really dangerous thing as well because they were seen as your security. They were the way you got money. They would work for you and get, bring you money in. They were your success. They were your everything. They were your retirement plan. You know, so they were, if you didn't have children then, you were uh, vulnerable and needy. But here God looks at the vulnerable and the needy and he says, I'll look after you. I'll give you a home. Uh, they were written off people, um, the, these women who wouldn't have had children, they were written off and looked down on. But Jesus says, no, I, I'm going to bring you into my home and I'm going to use you. If you think of the storyline of the Bible, how many women who couldn't have children that God used. You think of Sarah, of Rebecca, of Rachel, of Hannah. He doesn't write them off, but welcomes them in and uses them in the line of Christ. You are honoured in my kingdom, Jesus says. Jesus lifts up and he honours those who everybody else has written off. Perhaps today you feel like a nobody. Perhaps today you feel like nobody cares and nobody knows. This is what God tells you. I know and I care. Maybe society has cast you off as a nobody, as worthless. But look how much you mean to God. Look what he has done for you. He has given his very best, his son, so that you can know him and be forgiven. Turn to him today. So what did Jesus have on his lips and on his mind and on his heart? The first thing he had was you, his people. He did this so that you could worship and praise his name now and forevermore. He uh, then had on his heart the character of God, the God who is high and lifted up and the God who stoops down low so that he could save us. He could take our place and put us where he is. That's our God. That's our saviour. And if you know him today, let's praise his name. As we spend this period of time in Lent to say, Lord, help us to understand it. Help us to take it in. What it meant for thee, the Holy One, to bear away my sin. Lord, help me to know that more. And if you don't know him, the invitation is there again this morning. Come to him, the one who gave his all for you. Let's praise his name together. Let me pray before we uh, close our time together by singing. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were willing to stoop from the highest of places to the lowest, that you were willing to come all the way from heaven to that, um, to that cross of Calvary so that we could know the joy of being accepted by you, having our sins forgiven. Please, Lord, help us today to know more of you and to enjoy you better. And we pray, Lord, this in Jesus' name. Amen.
We're going to sing our last song together.